epic stories and epic characters are easy to tie myself to, to relate to, but sometimes the stories of the women in the Bible can be unrelatable or, I don't know, just not as epic. But the truth is, is their stories are my stories too. And not just for a time past, but for a time now. Their failures are my failures. They're good, they're bad. It all ends up kind of being beautiful. It's a greater story and we're all part of it. All of it. The good, the bad, and the beautiful. Good morning. morning. I got a question for you. Woman ever saved your life? Yes. Now, when I say that, when I say that, I don't mean like, did your house catch on fire and the fireman was a woman? I mean, like, can you identify a time where a woman in your life, a boss, a doctor, a wife, a friend, a sister, a mom, did something that kept your life from going in a direction that would have destroyed you. So I can easily think of several women in my life that played an incredible, important, impactful, life-saving role. Not just simply physically, although I can name one. When I had the heart attack a year ago, it was a female doctor who identified me right off the bat. You're having a heart attack. Saved my life. I owe her my life. I can think of a teacher. I can think of an author. I for sure can think of my wife. I'm just asking you, if you think about it for a moment, can you identify a woman who saved your life? You know, Jake just did the intro to our series, and we titled it The Good, the Bad, and the Beautiful. And Jake made mention of this, that so many stories in the Bible are relegated to stories about men. And uh, the ones that are about women, we relegate to a uh, ladies' ministry, to a Mother's Day, or to some woman's Bible study. And seldom do we tell the story of women in the Bible. But here's what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Everything in the Bible is good for you to learn from. Everything in the Bible is there to encourage you, to teach you, to correct you, to help you, to make you better. To let you live the best version of yourself that you can be. So stories aren't relegated in the Bible. We've relegated them in the church. So this series is just simply maybe to help set that straight a little bit, to tell some of the stories of the women in the Bible. And listen to me, it's not to speak to women. Because these stories aren't there to speak to women. They're there to speak to all of us. Just like we would expect a woman to learn from the story about a man, we would expect a man to learn from the story about a woman. And I hope you open your heart and you'll listen to the things that I would talk about today. When I think about women that have saved my life, man, I can think of my mom. My mom did one of the most foundational, fundamental, life-saving things for me uh, when I was 20 years old. She pointed at Chris and said, marry that one right there. (laughs) And it for sure saved my life. I guarantee you. Because the other one, she said, do not marry that one over there. (laughs) My daughter Katie saved my life one time. Uh, I know nobody in this room will relate to this, but I can be a hothead. And I pulled up to a four-way stop one time. And it was my turn to go, and I took off, and a guy in a big truck decided he wasn't going to stop, and he blew through and almost took the front end of the car off. She was sitting next to me, and so I said something to him, probably something like, hey, God bless you, or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Like I said, I know you couldn't relate to it, but I said something, and the guy, reek, 
And before I thought about it, I already had the door open. How many of you know men's egos can quickly respond before wisdom? Let me ask over here. How many of you know men's egos can quickly respond? And she reached out. Listen to this. She grabbed my arm and in a voice that a dad knows from a daughter, she said, Dad, please don't. And I looked back up and the guy had a gun. You bet, man. She saved my life. I jumped back in the car and drove away. (laughs) But I would have been meeting him in the street had I not had her in the car with me right there. Uh, I can think of an author, uh, Joyce Myers. She is powerful. Before she blew up and became so big that she didn't and can't go to churches, she has to do arena, she came to the church we were serving at up in northern Colorado, and it was jam-packed, 2,500, 3,000 people. I mean, it was standing room only. And in that big crowd, she stopped while she was teaching, and she pointed over in my direction and said, you. And I was praying to God, not me. (laughs) I looked around like, please let it be somebody else. And she zeroed in, and she got close, and she said, you, come here. I had to stand up in front of everybody. She began to prophesy over my life, and it was so powerful. I don't care what you think. It knocked me to my knees. I could not get up. Dude, I was weeping in front of all of these people. But I tell you what, the humiliation was worth the word. It was, it was a directive word. That woman changed my life. I can think then of my wife that over and over, sometimes people see a public persona and they think, wow, the truth of the matter is, man, behind the scenes is a guy that um, gets hurt and bruised and messed up and problems and egos and all. And there's my wife who is so wise and so good and so kind. And for every thousand resignations that I've done in this church, she's torn them all up and said, no, we can go one more day. Save my life. Save my ministry. So the series is called The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful. And uh, here's how we're going to do it. I thought it's six weeks. We'll do too good, too bad, too beautiful. One of my teaching teams said, mix it up. Go good, bad, beautiful, good, bad, beautiful. So next week I'm going to talk about Jezebel. And you might think you know, but let me tell you about Jez real quick. Jez had great leadership gifts on her life, but she was unsubmitted to God, and she used those things for the devil. And we always think, wow, how could a person do that? She's us, and we're her without the help of the Lord in our life. Do you believe that? So I've got something for you next week that I think you'll find really good, and especially... Man, as a guy, you want to be a leader? This woman had great leadership qualities on her life. She just used them for the things of the world, and it messed up a lot of people. So today we're going to talk about Abigail, Nabal, and David. Abigail, Nabal, and David. David you probably are familiar with. Most of you probably don't have a clue who Abigail and uh, Nabal are. Uh, Their story takes place uh, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now it's 40 verses. So I'm going to have 40 people stand up and each read one verse and go around. No, uh, here's, it's too much to read in one shot. I'm going to paraphrase it. But here's what I want you to do. If you're a studier of the Word, and you should be, go home and read it for yourself. Because I'm going to leave some of the details out in order to paraphrase it. And then I'm going to give you four things that this woman had in her life that every person in the room should have. But let me say it this way. If you find a woman in vicinity of your life who has any combination of these four, and especially all four... Elevate her in your life because it'll be a blessing to you. It will bless your life, man. So this is about Abigail, Nabal, and David. And let me set the story up. David, when he's 17, was anointed to be the king of Israel. But he doesn't become the king until he's 30. So for those 13 years, from 17 to 30, 
David had a miserable existence. The king at the time was Saul, and Saul hated David. He was jealous of David, and uh, David had to run for his life during those 13 years. The Bible says he hid in the desert, he hid in ditches. One time he had to act like a crazy guy and drool all over himself so that they'd let him go. This is a guy anointed by... I wonder if David ever thought during those 13 years, I wonder how I get to be unchosen as king. <laughs> Blessed of God and yet going through hell. 13 really difficult years. So the Bible tells us, we pick this story up, he's moved out to the desert, and 600 men have come to be his friend. But here's who the men are. The Bible says the discontented, the malcontented, and the thief. How would you like those to be your best friends in life? The discontented, the malcontented, and the troublemakers, man. <laughs> These are not good guys. Uh, here's what they really are. They're killers. These are trained killers. They have committed murder and done a lot of bad deeds, and that's who surrounded David. Now, the story is important because these guys decide to take action, and when they take action, they're not going to knock on the guy's door and chew him out. They're going to go kill him. Remember that. So we pick the story up like this. David is out in the desert with his men, and in the desert, man, there are a bunch of shepherds, and there's a very wealthy man named Nabal who owns a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle, Super wealthy. And during the wintertime in Israel, they put everything out to graze. And in the springtime, they shear the sheep. And then they kill what they need to eat and sell. And David and his men had watched over all of this guy's sheep during the wintertime. In fact, here's what the Bible says. They were like a wall around the sheep so that no predator or thief could come in and take anything from the shepherds or from Nabal's animals. And here's what David thought. When the springtime comes... And he goes to shear the sheep and to kill and dress some of them out. We'll ask him to share a little bit with us because we did this favor for him. He didn't lose any to poachers. He didn't lose any to wild animals. And the little bit that we helped him save, he'll share with us. So in the springtime, he takes 10 of his 400 guys and he says, go to Nabal and tell him what we did for him this winter, how we watched over all of his stuff. Ask him to ask his servants to make sure that they'll tell him nothing's missing. We were honorable. And then just ask him this, share a little bit with us because we're hungry. So the ten guys go to Nabal, and they stand in front of Nabal, and they tell him the story of what happened in the wintertime. And Nabal looks at them and says to them, I don't care about David. I don't care about you. So go back and tell him, I'm not giving him a thing. And the ten guys looked at him and said, are you sure? And he said, yep. And so they turned around, went to David, and here's David's response. Get your swords. And 400 guys strap on their swords and they're heading to Nabal's house, and this is what David said. May the Lord do to me, and even worse, if I don't kill every male, including Nabal, by this time tomorrow morning. These are not guys whose threats are veiled. These are not guys who don't act on their words. These are not guys who say, I'm going to kill you, and what it really means is I'm going to kick your butt. These are guys who are coming to kill, and they're going to wipe out his entire household and take whatever they want anyway. But Nabal has a wife named Abigail, and she's a really smart woman. And one of the shepherds who was in the field back in the wintertime heard what David's men said to Nabal, and he went to his master's wife, Abigail, and said to her, Listen, here's what your husband did. David protected all of us this winter, watched over all of our stuff, and he came to have Nabal do him a favor. Nabal's turned him away, and David and his men are coming back to kill, and they're going to kill your husband, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill your children, they're going to take everything that they want. You better do something right now. And this woman was really smart. She didn't ask her husband. 
she loaded up a bunch of donkeys with a bunch of food and with some of the wool and with a bunch of fruit. And she sent an entire train out to meet David. And she followed along. And this is what the Bible says. David was coming out of the mountain pass with his men, swords ready, about a mile from Nabal's house. So in about 10 minutes, they're going to destroy this guy. And she meets them right at that point. And the Bible says as soon as she saw David, she jumped off of her donkey. She ran. She fell down in front of him. And this is what she said to him. If you want to blame anybody, blame me. She said, I'm sorry for what took place. She said, actually, my husband's name is Nabal, and that means fool, and he's acted foolishly. Can I just stop and comment? In the Bible, people's names actually were little Hebrew sentences. They used to name their children what they hoped they grew up to be. Can you imagine somebody naming their child fool? How bad do you have to hate your son to do that? And he acted foolishly. He did have this one good quality. He married far above himself. And he married a very smart woman. She laid before David. She said, please forgive what he did. Forgive us. Accept these gifts. And then she said probably one of the most diplomatic things that's ever said in the Bible. She said, we all know you're going to be king in just a few years. And you have to make a decision right now what kind of king you want to be. Do you want to be like Saul who takes matters into his own hands and avenges his own self? Or do you want to be the king that God brings to the throne by his own power. And when you're there, you're guiltless. You have to make a decision right now. And all of a sudden it dawned on David, I can't take matters into my own hands. So he blesses her and he tells her, thank you for keeping my hands innocent and I accept your offering. Go back to your husband. I will not come and destroy your family. She goes back and this is what the Bible says. Nabal's throwing a party for himself like a king. This guy thought a lot of himself. And he is too drunk to talk to. The Bible says... So she waits till the next morning when he sobers up, and then she says to him, you were 10 minutes away from dying. I spared your life. And the Bible says his heart went like stone inside of him for 10 days, and then he died. And David did one of the brightest things any man can do. He sent his servants and asked Abigail, will you be my wife? And she said yes. And what that really means is if you find a smart one, marry her quickly. That's exactly what you want to do. So let me take this story, and you should go home and read it because there's a lot more details I'm leaving out. But there are four things this woman exhibited in her life that any person in this room would be lucky to have. Not if you're a woman, not if you're a man. Any person in this room would be lucky to have these four things. You got a pen, you got a pencil, or you're using the online version of the U Notes, that's great. But fill these blanks in right here. Here's the first one she was smart. She simply was smart. She wasn't just beautiful. She wasn't just, just, you know, she was smart. Here's what the Bible says about it. 1 Samuel 25. Uh, her name, uh, I'm sorry, his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Read this with me. She was an... One more time. She was an... Intelligent. An intelligent and beautiful woman. Now, that's a powerful combination, but let me tell you what I think that it means. I don't think she was just beautiful. I think her intelligence made her beautiful. Here's what the Bible says about beauty. It says that beauty is a fleeting issue. I'm in my 50s and I can promise you beauty is a fleeting issue. Every person in this room who is aged at all knows you do not look the same as you did in your 20s. Okay, real people. You do not look the same as you did in your 20s. And you can be beautiful at one point in your life, but if you build your life just on physical beauty, at some point you'll be disappointed because we all age. 
And the way to really build beauty into a person's life is to build it with intelligence. So the first thing that this comments about her is not her physical beauty, but it's her intelligence that I think made her beautiful. And that's a powerful thing, man. She was much smarter than her husband. But let me point this out to you and just to bring two things together. When we're doing the study on this and we're looking at Nabal's life, one of my guys on my teaching team said, I bet Nabal was a little guy with a big ego. And I took offense to that, to be honest with you. (laughs) So here was my comeback. I bet David was a big guy with a big ego. And the bottom line is men can have an ego, yes or no. Women can too, but men seem to really... And in this story, the most righteous person is not David or Nabal, it's Abigail, yes or no? Because the only one with wisdom to know how to handle two big egos was a woman, yes or no? Why is it that women so often get stuck between that rock and a hard place? And let me say it this way, if you want to learn a skill in life, if you can learn how to handle a king and a fool at the same time, now you're something. You should write that down, because if I was writing a book, that would be one of the chapters right there. You won't hear that any place. That's mine. If you can handle a fool and a king, you know how to do something in life, man. That's a skill worth having. This woman caught between two people who, who one was an idiot and one had an anger problem, but both had an ego. And while David was a righteous person and Nabal was a fool, the one in this story that stands out is Abigail because she knew how to handle and spare and not only help David but help her husband. And that's a tough skill to learn in life, how to handle a fool and a king at the same time. And I respect her for that. Let me give you the second thing. Got a pen? Pencil? Write it down. She was fast. This woman was fast. I respect how fast she was. Uh, Man, she was so fast that she didn't have to take a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle and put the pros and the cons of going out to meet David. Here's what she realized. If I don't get out there, we're all going to die. If I don't get out there, my son is going to die. If I don't get out there, my child is going to die. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing due diligence. It's smart to do that. But I can tell you in our life, Chris and my life, um, she has this unique anointing and gift that I see in a lot of women. She hears much quicker from the Holy Spirit than I do. Any other woman know what I'm talking about? So spiritually in our marriage, she usually hears from God faster than I do. And I'm the pastor. Which sometimes that irritates the fire out of me, man. Because I want to tell her, I know what God is saying. Can you tell me one more time what he said? Here's the cliche in our society. We call it a woman's intuition. That's the world's word for it. You want to know what the real word is? A woman is created with the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that a man doesn't always have. And a man is a fool when he doesn't listen to that woman's sensitivity in his life. Look at this. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says in Genesis that God created a man and a woman in his image. Yes or no? He created male and female in his image. So women have attributes from God and men have attributes from God. And if the two could ever learn to work together. Dang it, come on. If the two could ever learn to work together, two are better than one especially when they don't think the exact same way. Because then you just get the exact same thing. But if the two could ever come together, it's powerful. Boom! God can do something great. They're both created in the image of God. And so men will mock it and say, you just have some feeling. Prove it to me. If you have to have everything proved to you, by the time you finally figure it out, it'll be too late. 
You're a fool to not listen to the gift in a person's life. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen will be thirty three years that we've been in ministry. Can, can you admit this? That if nothing else, thirty three years is a long time to do anything. All right, thirty three years. In thirty three years, three times this has happened. So once every eleven years. My wife has said to me three times in thirty three years, never be alone with that woman right there. So three times. She's never said, you can't talk to a woman. She's never said, don't minister to a woman. Three times in 33 years as she looked at me and said, be careful being alone with that woman right there. Now, I would look at the woman and go, what are you talking about? Anybody else like me? What are you, come on. We were in the storefront at Broadway and County Line when we first started. And Chris said it to me. It was the second time she had said it to me in ministry. She said, you see that woman right there? She didn't say the woman's evil. She said, don't be alone with her. At that time, I had learned, sometimes she can't explain it. She just feels something. So I'll accept it. But here's what happened. We had a very small sanctuary with three entrances to it. And I had uh, left to go take care of something. And I came back in the sanctuary and nobody was in there. And the woman saw me. And she made a beeline into the other entrance, and I was caught alone with her in the sanctuary. Now, I'm just going to tell you about me. What I wanted to say was, I'm not allowed to talk to you, and then walk away. (laughs) That's what I wanted to say. But there's this thing in me that wants to be nice to people, right? I don't have that killer thing in me. I'm not one of David's guys. I'm like, ah. So I'm... So I'm having this conversation in my head like, Jesus, please send Chris right now to rescue me out of this situation. But Chris doesn't come in. And the woman walked right up to me. You ever had a close talker? You ever had it happen? You know, I mean, like, right, dude, right in your... She was right. And this is what she said. You minister to a lot of people. What can I do for you? So look at me real quick. <laughs> How many of you know the wrong answer to that question? And I'm not standing here right now. So look at me real quick. You think you're above it, Right? You think that couldn't happen to you. So let me tell you about sin. The Bible says sin crouches at the door, meaning that it hides, waiting for you to be at the wrong place at the wrong moment to spring itself on you. So the best way to handle it sometimes is to use the wisdom of another person so that you don't have... The best time to handle temptation is not in the back seat. Maybe I'm speaking from my day and age, man. Maybe that's the... (laughs) Yeah, I am, huh? The best time to handle temptation is not in the bedroom, pal. So, yeah. Um, so she says that to me, and I could feel my heart start to race. And I'm, what do I, I, I uh, the wrong answer. I, see, through, my, through my head flashes my children and my wife and my church, and I'll lose everything if I answer this the wrong way. Even if I'm trying to be nice. And so here's my great comeback. Uh, you want to do something for me? You can pray for me. And I turned around and ran out of the sanctuary. Because <laughs> David said, how does a man keep himself from evil? Flee from it. I ran. That was my big answer. Run away. But I'm here. I'm still married. 
Now we're talking 33 years and not 13, so. Chris has this sensitivity where she can hear so easily and quickly. Um, This is for me, not for you, for us, and not for you. Uh, We bought a house in 2000, and I was still raising my children. And I had five, and so we needed a lot of bedrooms. But like anything, man, you know, we're going on 18 years in this house, and all my kids are now, they're grown. They've, they're out. They're doing their own thing. So we've got this house with a lot of bedrooms, and it doesn't really suit where we're at in life. So we wanted to do what most people do and sell it and get something that accommodates where we are in life. But the Lord spoke this to us. Don't sell it. Pay it off. We were so close we could see the end. And rather than go back and redo it again, we just decided we'll put up with the inconvenience and we're going to pay our... I've never been out of debt and one time in my life I want to be out of debt. And so I'm just talking to me. I'm not talking to you. I wanted to be out of debt. So we decided to stay in our house. But this is how the story happened. We're driving by in the year 2000 and she goes, stop. And I think we were going to eat and I'm like, I'm hungry. She's like, I need to go look at that house real quick. come on. She ran in the house and she's gone for about five minutes and I'm getting frustrated. And then she comes running out and the saleswoman is running out with a contract in her hand right behind her. (laughs) Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I knew I'm buying a house today. This is what's going to happen. And within moments, literally, I'm signing on. Now, here's me. I first wanted to know, you know, what's the interest rate? And can we bargain on this house? And what can I sell mine for? And those are all legitimate things. Please do not misunderstand me. They're legitimate. But sometimes you don't do everything that way. She's like, we got to buy this house. This is the house. God told me this is the house. And I bought that house. And in almost 18 years, it's gone up two and a half times what I paid for it. And part of it will be my retirement when I walk away from here. And I know that doesn't happen in every case. I'm just telling you, I would have driven by and gone to Chick-fil-A. And thought, man, I had a really blessed day today. You ever had a woman save you from financial destruction? How about you ever had a woman save you from yourself? Let me give you the third thing this woman had in her life that was just powerful. She was protective. She was protective. Look at verse 23 and 25. When Abigail saw David, remember she rode out to catch him before he came to her house. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey. and She bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at her feet and she said, so she spoke out loud, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. In other words, hear me for a moment before you act. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name, and his name means fool. And folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men that my Lord sent initially to ask for help. And here's what she's saying. David is a man bent on murder. And it's not going to be enough to say, I'm sorry. This woman has to lay out in front of him. She has to basically beg him. She has to say, pay attention to me right now. And then this is what she said. Please pardon me. And pardon my husband. She was protective even of her husband when he did the wrong thing. Yes or no? And I love that about it because that takes character to protect someone who doesn't deserve protection. And women tend to do that. Now, um, just a couple of weeks ago, we had that, that horrible tragedy in Vegas. 
And one of the things that I read that like, <laughs> this appealed to the man in me. Boyfriends and husbands would lay over their girlfriends and wives to protect them from bullets. Men will lay down their lives that way. That's a powerful thing. But women will do that for their children. Do you know what I'm, moms, do you know what I'm talking about? I think when God created women, part of the attribute that a woman has in her is that by nature she's a protector of people. More so than men are. Like with our kids growing up, Chris would want to protect them and I would be like, be a man. You don't need a coat, get out there. It's cold on both sides of the ball, son. God weaves into the heart of a woman a protective nature that a man can be so ignorant of. So when God creates a woman, the Bible gives us a story from Genesis that's really interesting and unique. It says that when he, when he created the man, he took the dust of the ground and he formed it and then he blew the breath of life into the man to animate him. That's inspiration. But when he creates the woman, he puts the man to sleep opens the man's side, takes a rib, and then creates the woman out of the rib and then animates her. All right, what is that? Why not do both the same way? And what's the point? So I always thought um, it had to do with... it. So the Bible says because they're one flesh. I get that. But I always thought, why, so why not from the head or why not from the femur? Why the side? And I think it means this, that I think a man's not supposed to rule over a woman or step on the woman, but they're equals. And so many men today are like, I'm the head of my household. Dude, Jesus is the head of your household if you're a believer, and you and your wife are partners in the grace of this life. And if you could ever get in that place where you're partners with each other, be the leader, but partner and serve your wife. You can have a powerful marriage, but if you're fighting all the time, you're fighting for a role. Let Jesus be the head. It really is good, and some of you are looking at me like you've never heard anything like that before. His name's Jesus? He's the Lord? PTL? Okay. All right. Uh, so he creates the woman from the rib, and not from the foot, and not from the skull. And I'm going to give Dan DeMay the credit for this. Dan DeMay goes, John, he goes, the rib cage serves as the protective element to all of the organs that are necessary for life. It guards the heart, it guards the lungs, it guards the liver, it guards the kidneys. Yes or no? Yes. And he said it's a representation that a woman has a protective nature built into her that a man doesn't always have. And women are protective by nature. Now here's the problem. There's a razor-thin line between care and control. I mean, it is sometimes so undetectable that something can move from care into control and a man feels, and in particular a husband feels, manipulated by it. So then he feels the pushback of a care issue and then he's being foolish because, look at me, you wouldn't reject this, pastors have a care gift in their heart, so much so that when they're teaching they have to stop and look people in the eye and they're almost pleading with them, hear me right now. I'm speaking this for your benefit and for your care, not because I'm giving a speech to you and I need a paycheck. Does that make sense? 
I lean way over and I give my whole heart to it because it's a care gift. And you wouldn't reject me right now. You would go, oh, he's got a heart for me. And that's what a woman has. She can be your boss and have a real care issue. She can be a doctor and have a real care issue. She can be your mom. She can be your wife. She can be a friend. There's a natural care issue in there. But like anything in life, the devil loves to take what God created for evil and try and use it for good. I'm sorry, what God created for good and try to use it for... And of all the things I said, you'll go home and quote that one, won't you? (laughs) Idiot pastor. (laughs) What God created for good, the devil wants to use for evil. And care can cross over quickly to control if it's not guarded. You're quiet, are you okay? Hey, listen, I'm not a professor in a university. I'm not a newscaster, and I have only one obligation, and that's to speak for Jesus in this room. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. So it doesn't matter what the culture says. I'm telling you what the Bible says. Amen. That's my job. You have to remember that. That's my job, to speak on behalf of God. Let me give you the fourth one, because this one's really important. If you don't remember anything else I said, remember this. So she's smart, she's fast, she's protective. This woman was blessed. She was blessed. Let me read verse 32 and 33 to you real quick. This is David talking back to her. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Look at this. Who has sent you today to meet me. So David perceived, this isn't a woman. This is God's messenger to me. That's an important distinction. This just isn't a person on a mission This is a person sent to me from God. And if you can ever see that person in your life as sent from God, it might open your heart to what they're trying to say. All right. So David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent uh, you today to to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Because David remembers at some point he's going to be the king and he's going to be known for how he got to be the king. And so he blesses her. She's a blessed woman. All right, now, this is not in your notes. You might want to write it down. Let me give you the principle of blessing. This is important. The principle of blessing. And it's very simple. You can probably remember it, but it'll serve you better to write it down because the weakest ink is better than the best memory in this room. Write it down. Here's the principle of blessing. If you want to be blessed, should I check? How many want to be blessed? If you don't raise your hand, you don't get blessing. You want to be blessed? You want to be blessed? Here's the principle of blessing. If you want to be blessed, hang out with blessed people. And if you want to be cursed, hang out with fools. Because most of us pray, God bless me. And really, it's a lot easier than that. Hang out with blessed people. And you'll be blessed. It rubs off on you. It's, it's a, this woman came and because she was blessed, David gets blessed. <laughs> An entire group of people is blessed because she's blessed. And if you find somebody that's blessed in your life, elevate them to a higher stature in your life, and you'll be blessed. I'm going to say to you what I said in the very beginning of the message. Here's the truth about me. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I did know how to marry way above myself. And gosh, did it bless my life. Man, did it bless my life. The women that God put into my life have been such a blessing to me. Here's how it played out at this church. I grew up a Catholic kid. 
which was a male-dominated religion. Okay to say? And then when I became a believer, it was in a small Pentecostal church. Man, what a... (laughs) Catholicism to Pentecostalism. There's a... James, yes or no? That is a wide, wild ride. (laughs) Catholicism was male-dominated, and so was Pentecostalism. And it was all built on one verse in the Bible from Timothy... Paul said, I don't allow a woman to have authority over a man. But here's what the Bible also says. Never take one verse and build an entire doctrine out of it. And here's what they ignore about that verse. They don't know who he's talking to, why he's talking, and what kind of convert he's talking to. And maybe before this is done, I'll tell you who he was talking to. But here's what most people ignore that quote that verse. They ignore that on Paul's leadership team were women who preached that he personally gave authority to, and it says so all through the Bible. So they build it on one verse, and then here's what happens. It's a male-dominated issue, and yeah, men have gifts, but (laughs) they're incomplete because God created two, that if you can get both together, it becomes really powerful. So when we started this church, I just said, I don't care what I was taught in Bible college, and I don't care how I grew up. I'm going to do what I think the Bible says. So I began to hire women pastors. And on my teaching team are pastors. And on my executive team are pastors. And all through my staff are women pastors. And here's how I felt before it was ever popular to do. If it's equal work, it's equal pay. We always did. That's not some new thing. If they're busting their butt like a man, pay them. You agree? And I'm not a politically correct person. But I do believe in equality, and equality didn't come in 2015, 16, or 17. Jesus Christ is the great equalizer of all humanity. He set us all free and set us all up high. He respects both, man. And somehow we've used religion to knock women around, and that's never what Jesus intended. That's never what he intended. And there are roles, and there are gifts, and there are two separate things for sure. But in Jesus, man, the Bible says there's not male or female, Jew or Gentile, free or slaves. Everybody's equal in Christ. God, if we could ever just embrace that and be the church. What's missing from, you know what? And if you don't like this message, you're caught in religion. You're caught in religion. So go home and study real good and then come back to me. Hey, my name's John. I'm your pastor. I love you. I'll be back next week. (laughs) Think about what I'm saying. And thank you for listening to me. Jesus, I need you to take this message right now and make it real, make it applicable, and help people to really understand. Uh, While I realize it could be controversial uh, for some people, uh, for others it's a breath of fresh air right now. And for others it may keep them from having to run off um, to the world because they feel like they're missing something that God had for them in the church. But all in all, Father God, um, what we want to do is just submit ourselves to you. You're our head. You're the head of this church. You're the head of our lives. You're the head of all that we do. And then we work together for you. And so help us with that, Lord. God, I just ask your blessing. Um, God, I pray as our first message is super wide. And it might help to pull people in as we go uh, a little more narrow week by week and talk about specifics. Then uh, help us, God, to receive and to hear things because all Scripture 
is God breathed and ordained and anointed to change our lives. So we submit to all of it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.